This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Our scripture reading this evening is Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Hear the word of God. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, Behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. We read that far in God's holy word. We now turn to the Heidelberg Catechism. Question and answer 21. Or Lord's Day 21, sorry. And question and answer 55. Lord's Day 21. Question and answer 55. What do you understand by the communion of saints? Answer, first, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of Him and of all His riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know it to be his duty, readily and cheerfully, to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the word communion, which we consider this evening, That word, communion, should make you think of covenant. The covenant is all about communion. That word communion is a synonym to fellowship. In the Bible, when you find the word translated communion, in one place, and the word translated fellowship in a different place, they are the same word in the original Greek. They both mean the same thing, communion and fellowship. Communion is fellowship. And you know the definition of covenant. The covenant is a relationship of friendship and fellowship with God. So when you think about communion that we find here in Lord's Day 21, question and answer 55, you should think covenant. That fellowship which we enjoy as God's covenant people. Sin separates. Sin is a separating power that brings death to relationships. Sin ought to separate you from God. Sin harms and inhibits fellowship that we are to enjoy and have with God and with each other. But God, in His mercy through Jesus Christ, fellowships with us nevertheless because His covenant is an unconditional covenant. His covenant is such that He maintains covenant and restores us unto the enjoyment of that fellowship with Him. 
He is that covenant God of fellowship with His people. And He causes us to fellowship with Him and with each other, even though we fall again and again into sin. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you experience this fellowship? This communion with God, first of all. I do not merely ask whether you know the right definition of covenant or communion and fellowship, but I ask at the beginning of this sermon whether you experience, whether you enjoy this fellowship with God. You see, it is one thing to know the right definition of words and doctrines, and it's another thing to have the reality of that in our lives. We saw that this morning already. Forgiveness of sins is not merely something to know about intellectually, but we must know the forgiveness of our own sins, my sins, in Jesus Christ alone. And so also this evening, we must be willing, we must be able to not only debate and defend and stick to our convictions regarding the unconditional covenant that God establishes with us, and define it properly as a personal relationship, a fellowship and friendship that God has and maintains with His people. More, there must be in us, with us, the reality of fellowship with God. With all and with everyone who believes, the Catechism says, there is such communion. There is such fellowship. May the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, send His Holy Spirit, because He is the power of fellowship. And Lord Jesus Christ, who has earned that fellowship, give unto you, His people, that conscious living fellowship with Him, with God, and with Jesus Christ. And may that result this evening also with fellowship or communion with each other, in the church, so that covenant fellowship or covenant communion is not only something we can define, but that which we have and experience in our lives. In Psalm 73, we read the psalmist struggling as one of God's covenant people. His main struggle, as we read, was that he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And when that child of God, Asaph, saw the, the prosperity of the wicked, he became envious, which was his sin. He began to pity himself. He began to be envious of the wicked. He began to think of grace in terms of things with an earthly-minded perspective. And in that way, he began to question God's goodness. He became bitter, angry with God. And you hear him complaining through the psalm. And in verse 17, we finally get to the turning point of the psalmist. In verse 17, we find those words, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. The psalmist's eyes were open. He was turned 
from his sin of envy and and self-pity and frustration with God to see the end of the wicked, the end of the unbeliever, and he realized God is not blessing them. That was not grace and all their prosperity. It was a curse to them. But the psalmist, as we should, doesn't just point out there and say, oh, those unbelievers don't receive grace. There's no such thing as common grace, though that's true. The psalmist repents, you see, of his own sins. He turns, sorrowing that he has thought of grace that way, that he has been envious of the wicked, of the wicked, and has not seen thankfulness what God has done for him. We hear his sorrow for sin in verse 22. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Having confessed his sin, listen now to the psalmist in verse 23. He is saying that in spite of his sins, God maintained covenant and fellowship with him. Nevertheless, he said, in spite of his folly and acting like a beast, he says, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. In spite of my folly, in spite of all my sins, God has upheld me, preserved me kept me in relationship with Him and in communion with Him. And then he proceeds to the rest of the psalm to talk about how precious that fellowship with God is. Ending with verse 28, it is good for me to draw near to God in that sweet communion. Consider with me the truth of Lord's Day 21, question the answer 55 on the communion of the saints. First, considering with me communion with God. Secondly, communion with saints. And third, and last, by faith. Beloved, when you came to church this evening and you were thinking about the topic, communion of the saints, You perhaps thought that the sermon this evening was going to be mainly about communion with each other. And that is part of this Lord's Day in question and answer. Most, when hearing the term communion of the saints or fellowship of the saints, immediately jump to our fellowship with each other in the church. But when Scripture, when the Catechism itself speaks of communion or fellowship of the saints, it is not referring, first of all, to a, to a horizontal idea, our relationships and fellowship with each other in the church, but first of all, of a vertical idea of God's fellowship through our mediator Jesus Christ with us as people. That first. In fact, you cannot have true communion of the saints with each other unless you first have and experience fellowship with God. To put it even more strongly, if you are having trouble in your relationships with other saints, 
in your fellowship, in your marriage relationship, for example, in your relationships with your family or with other members in the church, it may not be merely a problem with relationships horizontally with each other, but it may be first a problem in your fellowship with God. That makes your hardship very critical. First, the Catechism says about communion, that all and everyone who believes being members of Christ are in common partakers of Him, of all His riches and gifts. What the first part of this answer explains is not a minor facet of Reformed truth to be quickly and mindlessly con- confessed in the Apostles' Creed every Sunday and then forgotten. As I said in the introduction, communion of saints with God is what covenant is all about. It's the gospel. Communion of saints is what Christ has saved us unto. This fellowship with God is what Christ has saved us unto. Salvation, remember, is not merely salvation from sin. It's not merely salvation from hell. It is not merely salvation from bondage to sin and Satan. If we stop there, we have a deficient view of the Gospel. A deficient understanding of what salvation consists of. But rather, salvation includes salvation unto eternal life. Salvation unto freedom. Salvation unto life with God. And especially this, all of what I just said, is summed up with this. Salvation unto friendship and fellowship with God. Which we do not wait for when we get to heaven merely, but we enjoy now on this earth by the power of Christ's Holy Spirit. That's what the Catechism, remember, is explaining. We are in the third section or the third point of the Apostles' Creed. And the Catechism is explaining the third section. I believe in the Holy Spirit, after which we confess, I believe and Holy Catholic Church, because the Holy Spirit, we have seen, gathers that universal church of all kinds, from all places. And now, regarding the members of that church, we confess that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, sent by Jesus Christ, brings about this salvation. Fellowship. Fellowship or communion with God. How does He do that? He joins each of His chosen people by the bond of faith through Jesus Christ. That's, be, that's familiar. The Catechism is referring to that when it says being members of Christ. Being members of Christ. The Holy Spirit makes us members of Christ. He takes us as dead branches by nature and joins us to the true vine, Jesus Christ, so that we are united by the bond of faith. Unites us as body parts, are united to one body, to the head, Jesus Christ. The Spirit brings us into communion with God by uniting us by the bond of faith. And having made that bond, the Spirit does not leave us But the Holy Spirit works in and with that bond. 
A bond is not a, a cold, lifeless link, like a chain link or a rubber hose. There is, it is a living bond. And when that Holy Spirit joins us to Jesus Christ by the bond of faith, He continues to work so that we are partakers, we read in the Catechism. Partakers of Him. Think about that. Not just partakers of His gifts, though that's included here, but first, the Holy Spirit makes us partakers of Jesus, of Him. The word partaker has a synonym, which is sharer. We are sharers or partakers of Him. That's also the literal meaning of fellowship or communion. It's to share. What the Spirit does then is He causes us to share in Christ. And He causes Christ to share Himself with us. Not just gifts again, remember, but Christ, by the power of His Holy Spirit, shares Himself with us. He breathes His Holy Spirit forth so that there is a personal relationship of friendship and fellowship with us, His people, and we with Him. When He does that, the Spirit causes us to share in that fellowship, in that friendship with Jesus Christ. It is not merely Christ sharing words with us and sharing gifts with us. But He so works in us to make us active that we respond in fellowship with Him. There is a back and forth, back and forth movement in this fellowship between God by His Spirit to us and then by the power of that same Spirit from us back to God. That is the fellowship which Psalm 73 verse 28 is talking about. When we read there, it is good for me to draw near to God. We draw near to Him. He first draws nigh to us. And the only way, of course, that we can draw near to God is if He draws us to Himself, but He does. That's the point. He does. Each of His people, He draws unto Himself so that we draw by virtue of His Spirit drawing us near to Christ. So I ask you this evening, do you have this communion of the saints? Do you have this fellowship with Jesus Christ by the power of His Holy Spirit whereby He draws near to you and you draw near to Him. And you might ask then, what does that look like? Well, first of all, it takes place in worship. In our worship services. Matthew 18, Matthew 18 verse 20 says, 
For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there, Jesus says, am I in the midst of them. And there Jesus is not talking about two or three family members or two or three Bible study goers gathering together and having fellowship with God. And Christ is there in the midst of them. Though, yes, there is fellowship with Christ there too. But when Jesus speaks there of two or three gathered together, read that text in its context, He is talking about two or three office bearers. Leading and gathering with God's people in worship. And as these office bearers lead God's people in worship, Jesus says, I am there. I am there. Take heed to that promise of Jesus Christ. By my Spirit, I am there. I am present. Not for some sensational, mystical, charismatic experience. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about some feelings. Though there are going to be feelings. But I am there, Jesus says, even if you don't feel me. And He speaks to you. He speaks to His people as they gather in worship. Holy conversation, you see, is what makes up much of our fellowship with Jesus Christ. In His Word, especially as it is preached and read, the Spirit of truth is breathed forth. And the Spirit of truth takes God's Word during formal worship to the hearts of His people so that they don't hear merely man's words, but they hear Jesus breathe by the power of His Spirit words to you. That's why the Word of God is going to come and is going to be applied directly to your hearts, even if it's not explicitly applied by the man. You hear Him speak to you. And as God's people hear and they listen to God's Word, they respond with the same power of the Holy Spirit in that fellowship communing with God. That's how our whole worship service is constructed. This is why the order of our worship service is this way. Children, young people, have you noticed that? It's a dialogue. It's a conversation that takes place with God as you gather here. God speaks, beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You should hear Him. And you respond, our help is in the name of Jehovah. And then God speaks again to bless you, grace, mercy, and peace. And then God's people respond, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And He speaks in His law, in His Word. We usually have a penitential psalm in response to that law. We bring our prayers and our offerings. And then He brings His Word in the reading and preaching of the Gospel. And we respond in prayer and in song again. And He speaks another blessing at the end. You see, there's a back and forth. Back and forth between you and God in formal worship. That doesn't automatically happen. It's not going on when members are sleeping through church or fighting with their siblings or people watching or being distracted by something else or engaged in a mere outward formality. But as God's people are here present, not only with their bodies in the pew, but their hearts by faith are engaged 
there is a holy dialogue with God himself, which is fellowship. This morning at the Lord's Supper, this fellowship was symbolized. That's why the Lord's Supper is called communion. There around his table, a symbol of fellowship, Jesus Christ shared a meal with you. And you partook, we said. In your partaking, you did not merely partake or share of bread and wine, but you shared or partook of Jesus Himself. You met with Him, and He with you. And in your meeting with Him, He spoke to you, I forgive you. And you heard Him. And you respond in thanks and praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And at that table, He shared with you not only forgiveness, but all the blessings of salvation. And you respond in thanks, wanting to go forth and live for Him and not for yourself. Strengthened and nourished by His broken body and shed blood. The Lord's Supper was fellowship and communion, and it symbolized fellowship and communion that should be going on at every worship service. And it symbolized fellowship that shouldn't just be in our worship services, but through the week. This is your life, isn't it, child of God? This is your life. God doesn't say, all on Sunday, we'll have fellowship with my people here, and the rest of the six days of the week, we'll leave them alone. And the child of God doesn't say, having fellowship with God in, in, in worship, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I want Him to leave me alone and I'll go do my own thing until the next Sunday. But having tasted and seen the goodness of God, having enjoyed communion and fellowship with God in worship, the child of God says, I want to live in, in constant communion with God. And He seeks that. Daily, even hourly, and minute by minute, there is fellowship with God. Scripture speaks of Enoch and Noah walking with God. The communion of saints like Enoch and Noah and us as God's people is to live in the consciousness of God's presence, talking to Him and hearing Him speak to us. We hear Him speak in creation. We hear Him speak in His Word. The Spirit takes His Word, even using the memory of His Word, to speak to us day by day as we meditate on Him. And as He speaks to us, we respond praying to Him, even without ceasing, giving Him thanks in everything, as our family visitation text says, responding to Him. There's that back and forth movement where God speaks to us and we to Him through the days of our life. Early in the morning, saints have meditated on His Word and devotions so that when the day is begun, that way, hearing Him speak in His Word and praying to Him in the morning, there might be a continuation of that through the day. 
Into the evening at bed at night, Psalm 63 shows saints meditating on His Word even on bed, at bed at night, giving thanks and praise and song. Thy loving kindness is better than life, therefore my lips shall praise Thee. Closer to Thy side I press, for near Thee all is well. And beloved, you see, as this fellowship continues, as there is God drawing us near to Him, and we drawing nigh to Him. Out of that, there comes all kinds of other gifts. The Spirit pours forth, as we fellowship with Christ, all sorts of riches. The Catechism describes that fellowship as such. We're partakers of Him and all His riches and gifts. For example, as part of His conversation or fellowship with us, we heard this morning, He says, I forgive you. He says that in church. He says that again and again during the six days of the week after we sin and we turn back to Him. He says, I forgive you in Jesus Christ. And when we hear that, what's the result? There is there's joy, there's thanks, and, and then there's a desire to forgive others too as He has so graciously forgiven us. He fellowship with, fellowships with us and reminds us of, of His providence. He works all things for our good, His promises. And as we enjoy that, we give thanks. And we, we comfort one another as, as we have been comforted. He gives us joy in the Gospel as we fellowship with Him. And, and then we are thankful. We're, we're able to be thankful even in the midst of afflictions and, and difficult days. He shows us that His face always shines upon us even when we stray from Him. His favor is always toward us unchangeably. And as He speaks that to us and shows us, then we have courage. The gift of courage. It doesn't matter if other people hate us. We don't need to live in the fear of men. We have the favor of God. As, as we hear His love, His, His constant love and, and faithfulness toward us, His self-sacrificial love, especially shown to us in Jesus Christ, the result is we, we want to sacrifice of ourselves as well in, in love for our, our husband, our, our wife, our, our fellow saints. Out of this fellowship, God establishes, maintains, and causes us to enjoy, we then seek fellowship with one another. That's the communion of the saints. First with God, and then resulting in communion also one with another. true saint in fellowship with God will not say, 
Well, since I have fellowship with God, now I'll live in isolation from everyone else. I'll have fellowship with God by myself and leave everyone else to do what they want to do in church and during the week. But rather, enjoying fellowship with God, the saint realizes he's joined to Jesus Christ by the bond of faith along with other saints, especially the ones in his local congregation where God has placed him. And so secondly, the catechism says that everyone must know it to be his duty readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. Among fellow saints, with the priority of those you are joined with in a local congregation, there will be this fellowship. As your duty, the catechism says, though it's not only your duty, it's your delight out of thankfulness for the fellowship you already have with God and Jesus Christ. And this fellowship, just as the fellowship that takes place vertically between you and God, that fellowship will be made up, much of it, of conversation. Holy conversation one with another. The same Spirit that breathed words to you and helped you breathe words back to God will work in you to breathe truth and love to each other. That's fellowship. Deep conversations, one with another. Psalm 73, verse 28 says, As we fellowship with God, as we draw near to God, we will want to declare all thy works. That's how it ends. That I may declare all thy works. And that declaration of all of God's works is not to no one, it's to each other in the church of Jesus Christ. The same word is used in the text that we recently considered in Psalm 66. Come and hear, the child of God says, in fellowship with fellow saints. Come and hear, all ye that fear the Lord, and I will declare what God hath done for my soul. There is that witnessing to each other as we fellowship with each other. As Christ has filled us up at His supper, and with the gospel of His love to us, we overflow then with our words of truth to one another for the glory of His name. That's Ephesians 4.15 as well, describing that fellowship within the church. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Not, not to beat each other, beat each other, not to compete with each other to prove that you're right and everyone else is wrong, but to speak the truth in love for the building up of fellow saints that we may grow together in Christ. Part of that fellowship, I say, is, is conversation, holy conversation with each other. But secondly, part of that fellowship will be reconciliation. That's the first part, in fact, especially if there is conflict and has been conflict and sins, which there will be in the church of Jesus Christ because we are still sinners. Sin, remember, separates. Sin inhibits relationships. 
it hinders us in our fellowship with God, but also with each other. So what needs to take place after there is sin? How can there be a continuing of the fellowship and enjoyment of it among members? If bitterness continues to stir within the heart, if impenitence continues in any way, if there's an unwillingness to repent and confess our sins one to another, of course that the relationships are going to continue without much fellowship. Fellowship will seem cold and merely formal. And so there must be reconciliation. Just as there is between God and us, whereby He works repentance in our hearts and confession to Him, and then He declares to us, I forgive you. So also between each other. speaking in confession to each other of sins that we have committed, seeking of repentance, of seeking of forgiveness, and then a clear declaration of that forgiveness to each other. That's part of fellowship. Connected to sin which separates and inhibits communion with God and with fellow saints, it is necessary to bring up an issue that we face in our modern day regarding that, that affects fellowship and communion of saints. And that is the use or the idolatry, I should say, of screens and devices. The screens and devices which are not evil of themselves with very good uses that God has given us for good uses. But you know, and I know the dangers associated with them. The social media of today, the entertainment of today, the flashes and swipes and sounds of today that come across those screens are addictive. And beloved, whatever you are addicted to is your idol, and that is sin. That specific kind of sin, the idolatry of, of these devices and screens, think about it is seriously inhibiting communion or fellowship with fellow saints. That which promises to be a help and an aid in communication, which it can be, often becomes rather a distraction and an inhibition to communication, deep communication, communication with God in devotions, fellowship with one another around the table and in the living room, and even afterward, you see it in yourself and in our children after prolonged bowing before a screen. Our brains and souls have been seriously weakened in the ability to fellowship, truly fellowship on a deep level with one another face to face. I warn you of that, beloved. There are all kinds of idols. There are all kinds of sins that inhibit fellowship with God and with each other. And that's one in our modern day that we have to be aware of, and I warn you of. Take it seriously. It's far more serious than we often think of it as. 
in addition to deepening conversations of fellowship and reconciliation and watching out for sins that inhibit it, fellowship includes sharing many other gifts. The Catechism speaks of readily and cheerfully. Readily and cheerfully. Using our gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. God has given to each of you, His people, as you fellowship with Him, many gifts. Many gifts. Gifts of all kinds. My calling is simply this. Love. Love. Love one another. You see, true love is not seeking her own. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. True love seeketh not her own. Love among the communion of the saints is not this. If I, if I scratch your back, if I, if I do this for you, then I'll get something in return. That's not love, that's manipulation. Love is this self-sacrificial giving to one another, not expecting anything in return. Willing to give to each other of your gifts. Seeking the welfare of other members. Readily, the catechism says. Readily. That means we're prepared. We're looking for opportunities to care for fellow saints. And thankfulness. Because the God of our salvation has so loved us and cared for us and given us, filled us with so many benefits. Readily and cheerfully, not grudgingly, as we gave of our offerings, not grudgingly or of necessity just because we have to, cheerfully, thankfully, because we know as we serve one another, we serve Jesus Christ. We serve one another in the communion of the saints, notice especially seeking their spiritual welfare. That's the catechism's emphasis when it says the advantage and salvation of one another. Yes, we give of our things, our money, our food, the meals, our time, our service. But not only that, we're called to take into account especially the spiritual good of one another. That's why I began with the, the communion of the saints as that which is the speaking, conversation, spiritual conversation with each other. That, that's, that's a priority because we seek the salvation of, a, of each other. That means that when we bring food and drink and spend time with each other at coffee, we, we want to speak to each other the words of Christ. That includes rebuke at times. Being willing to admonish, admonish each other. To counsel each other. To be peacemakers with each other so that if we know there is conflict between brothers and sisters in the church, we're willing to come between them out of thanks for the mediator who has come between us and God. We see the spiritual welfare, especially, of one another. Beloved, when we talk about the communion of the saints, which comes forth as the fruit of communion with God, I'm not speaking about extravagant gifts. 
I'm not talking about gifts that you share with others that will be noticed, that even you will be thanked for. But God's people are to begin really with the unnoticed ones, not seeking the praise of men. The small gifts that you share with others, which may be small from a human perspective, but are not small. Pray, beloved. Start there. Pray for one another. Pick up the church directory and pray for each other by name. Pray for others in need. Pray for those you don't quite know all the needs that they have. Pray for them. Pray for me. God's people need your prayers. Visit quietly with the widows, with the members of the church who cannot enjoy as much fellowship as you can face to face here when you gather. Show hospitality. Have them in your home. Not just with your relatives, but with others who might be strange to you, for hospitality means a lover of strangers. Care for one another in the church of Jesus Christ. That is your duty, the catechism says. An obligation. But it should be our delight as we seek to reflect the fellowship that God has with us to each other. There are a couple of extremes or misconceptions of community of the saints that I want to warn you about when we seek to care for others in the church first. There is the extreme of what we can term a leech. Proverbs 30 verse 15 speaks of a horse leech for those who suck. Literally, those who come to church and outwardly take part and activities they receive. And they think of the church as the place where they receive, and that's it, period. The place where they receive the preaching, where they receive spiritual and material help and things. That's it. We need to remember the words of Jesus Christ in Acts 20, verse 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said it is more blessed to give than to receive. As you are a member here, as you seek to become an active member here, remember, remember, beloved, yes, you are here to receive. You are, but not only to receive, to give. The second extreme or misconception of the communion of the saints is a lone ranger. One who is independent, he or she might think, and has no need of others' care, others' help. There's a willingness he or she think he or she has, and even an eagerness to help where he or she can, but when it's time to share of his or her own needs. An expression of my own weaknesses and a reception of others' help, then we become too proud to receive the help of fellow saints. And then we need to hear this Word of God in 1 Corinthians 
the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. That's God saying to you and me, you are needy. You are, you are needy of God, of Jesus Christ. And you are needy of the saints which He has placed you among so that even the very members you think are weaker than you, you need. It is His way of caring for you. And now the calling to faith. In the Apostles' Creed, we are confessing our faith in the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit gathers His universal church and that the Holy Spirit causes there to be the communion of the saints. Fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. And so I call you to believe what you confess. Believe in God as that covenant God. As the God of fellowship. Believe not only the kind, with the kind of faith that is intellectual so that you know the definition of covenant, but believe in the God who has fellowship with you. Who makes it real by the power of His Spirit so that you fellowship with Him in worship so that you hear Him speak to you and you to Him, and you continue in your fellowship with Him through the days of the week. And believing in Him, live in fellowship with each other as well. Trusting that He uses you for the benefit of fellow saints and them for you. One day, beloved, in glory, the fullness of this fellowship you will enjoy. Then your Savior will bring you face to face with Him. And no more sin will inhibit the enjoyment of it. Near to Him, you will enjoy perfect, deep, holy communion with Him not only, but with one another. No more schism. No more disunity. Perfect communion with God and with each other. Saints, Long for that. Nearer, still nearer. While life shall last, till safe in glory, my anchor is cast. Through endless ages ever to be nearer, my Savior still nearer to Thee. You desire that. You desire that nearness, which will be made full in glory. I know you do. The child of God longs for that. If that is your desire then, you realize that ought to be your desire now as well. Though imperfect, your heart's desire is fellowship with God. Because that is what you have been saved unto. Seek it, beloved. But the psalmist, seek it, my Savior, neath thy sheltering wings, my soul delights to dwell, and still closer to thy side I press, for near thee all is well. It is good to draw near 
unto God and sweet communion. Amen. Let's pray. O God, our Father, Thou who has adopted us into Thy family through Jesus Christ, and Thou who has sent His Holy Spirit that we might have and experience fellowship with Thee, draw us, we pray, near, that we may walk with Thee, that we may experience that closeness of holy conversation with Thee, our God, and that closeness also with one another in communion as a church. O oh God, in this week, too, having experienced that fellowship with Thee in worship, we ask, grow us in deep conversation with Thee and with one another, using of our gifts to serve each other as Thou hast served us. May the doctrine of the covenant and the fellowship of the covenant be not merely a doctrine, but also a reality that we enjoy in our lives day by day, ever living before Thy face. These things we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.